You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, Interstate Batteries has thousands upon thousands of retail locations throughout the United States and they have an awesome website interstatebatteries.com that will allow you to do your own research on a variety of batteries that they offer. I mean these guys are responsible for tens of thousands of batteries and these guys are very knowledgeable about batteries because it is what they do right interstate batteries right so if you have any questions about specific batteries you can go visit their website interstatebatteries.com or you can visit one of their thousands upon thousands of retail locations in the United States and talk with one of their battery experts. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have an epic story, an epic hunting story. You know, a while ago on social media, I reached out and I said, who's got a really kick-ass story for me? And uh, today we have a returning guest, actually. I talked with a gentleman named Chad Yingling earlier um, about some things on a previous podcast, but he responded back. He's like, Hey man, I got a really kick-ass story for you. And so I did the interview and I know this is a bold statement, but I'm going to say this is probably one of my top 10, top five, maybe even favorite podcasts that I've ever recorded. And the reason is because there's power behind this, right? Um, this podcast makes us realize that there is much more to hunting than big antlers much more to hunting than you know all all the hype behind you got to have you know you got to shoot it with a a bow it can't be a gun it can't be a crossbow you got to do it on public ground you got to do it on you know you got to plant food plots like there's all this stuff that goes into hunting that really doesn't matter and today's podcast is a perfect example of that and i'm not going to give any insight into what this podcast or what this story is going to be about you're going to have to listen to it and i'm telling you right now it is powerful Um, that's the only way i can really uh, explain it Um, so please listen through the entire podcast and um, i'd love to hear your feedback on it before we get into today's podcast though as always we got to do a commercial right and um so for the past couple years we've done this special with lone wolf right so if you go to lone wolf hunting products dot com slash nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers 
You enter in your first name, your last name, your email address, then you confirm your email address. And what this does is it enters you into a giveaway, right? And I think July 1st is actually the first uh, giveaway that we do. So um, I'll, I'll pick an email address at random. And guess what? You're the winner of your choice of stand or sticks. And uh, it's just really kick-ass um, uh, giveaway, right? But here's the best part. When you enter in your information, it kicks back to you a discount code that you can use for their online purchase of a lone wolf, right? And uh, I'm not going to tell you what that is, right? You're going to have to enter in your information and hit submit, and then it automatically kicks back and uh, it, it automatically kicks back the information for you now or the discount code for you. And uh, what that discount code does it allows you to save $50 off of all orders over $200 I think so it's like $199.99 right so basically if you buy a tree stand you're getting $50 off the purchase of that tree stand and that's a really good really good uh, discount especially for one of the greatest tree stands uh, on the market made in America very high quality very quiet very mobile you know all these things that I always talk about with Lone Wolf but uh, so go take advantage of that lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and uh, go enter today to win other than that we're done with all the intro stuff let's get into today's epic story I guess we're going to call this kind of the the epic story sessions the series that we're doing here uh, on the nine finger chronicles and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it Go to Facebook, go to Instagram. I want to hear your feedback on this and uh, let me know what you think. So without further ado, here's Chad, y- God dang it, Chad Yingling with an epic story. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Chad Yingling again. I think this is the second time you've been on? Number two. Number two, Number two man. Welcome to the Two Timers Club. Thanks, thanks. I feel very, very prestigious. <laughs> you, uh, if you tell people that, they it, it will get you absolutely nothing in life. I I was figuring I was going to be getting like discounts at places, <laughs> autographs, you know. Nope, nobody cares. <laughs> there's there's no there's no nine finger chronicle groupies. I mean, uh, there might be a couple. There might be a couple. <laughs> Cool. So I, I put a, a message out on Facebook. I'm like, hey, man, I want to hear some kick-ass hunting stories. And you reached out to me with the kind of uh, the Cliff Notes version of one that I felt was amazing. And I think how we get into this story is how we, we remind people of where you live and what do you do for a living. Um. So I live in uh, West Central Illinois, um, and at the time of this story, I was uh, a home care nurse, registered nurse. I uh, travel around the rural community and take care of patients in their home with uh, different diseases and um, just try to try to heal them and keep them out of the hospital. So, Gotcha. So what year does this story take place in? Uh, this was in 2016. Okay, 2016. And have you changed uh, positions or, or career paths since then? I 
I actually, uh, the, my last day as a registered nurse was this, this past Thursday. Oh, okay. Now what are you um, doing? I, I am going to be uh, getting into insurance sales. Gotcha. And when I get that under my belt, then uh, I plan on getting my real estate license as well. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So we're, t- we're talking about a story that takes place in 2016 when you were a in-home care provider. All right. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead and just kick this story off and I'll jump in with questions along the way. Okay. So, um, I got a referral to go see a patient in a little town of Paloma, Illinois, um, which is just outside of Quincy. And by the way, I do have the family's permission to use this guy's name. So, um, so I got a referral um, on this gentleman. He had uh, esophageal cancer um, and had surgery to to fix it or to remove a tumor. Um, and so I came into the home to do my initial visit. And when I walk in, there's deer racks everywhere and guns everywhere. And I'm immediately thinking, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm going to get along great with this guy. So it might scare most nurses, but for me, it's like, Yep, this is a done deal. This guy's this is gonna be great. Yeah. So, uh, so I take care of this patient. Um, starting in, oh shoot, it would have been late spring, early summer, and um, I'm taking care of him, working on uh, you know getting his incisions healed up, you know making sure he's able to eat well. Um, and I made him a deal at that time. Um, that if he could get healed up and do and and get back on his feet, that uh, that he could uh, come out to my place and go dove hunting with me. And uh, so, I don't know, two three months go by, and he actually gets the news that cancer's gone. No no signs of cancer anywhere. And uh, so September first rolls around, and he comes out to my house and gets. Uh, gets his uh a dove hunt in and gets his limit within like the first hour yeah and just had an absolute blast but uh after the hunt was done he told me that morning that he had a fall said he just got kind of got dizzy and and fell down and uh i so told him you know if any of that stuff continues you know he need to get get evaluated by his physician and then uh so the next week I go to make a visit with him and, uh, he says, well, I ended up following up with my doctor and, uh, they did some imaging and the cancer was back all in his brain and his spine. Man. So well, before, yeah. you fi- before you go move forward on this, when, when you were first introduced to him, you walked in to uh, his house and you saw all the deer racks and you saw the guns. Um, was it easy to start up a conversation with him? And the reason I ask oh. is because sometimes uh, people like that have just a lot of real negative energy, not, not because of who they are, but because of the illness itself. And they just, they're down and they don't want to talk to anybody. We're, I mean, you walk in there, you go, oh, I'm going to get along great with this guy. But did this guy care if you liked guns and hunting and all that stuff? The, it, it led into us, Dan, being 
really, really good friends. Um, okay. I would do, I would do my professional duties while I was there, you know, get his vital signs, change dressings and make sure everything was okay. And then we would just end up sitting and talking for, you know, an hour or more yeah. on and about anything and everything. I mean, he was a big coyote hunter. He was a huge deer hunter. Um, you know, avid crappie fisherman. I mean, he just, he was an outdoors guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he, he liked taking kids out and, and doing that stuff, uh, to get kids out in the outdoors. And he, uh, you know, he was just a great guy. And, you know, I, I'd share some of my stories too. And, you know, at that time, you know, summertime, I was doing some summer projects and stuff to get ready for deer season. And, and he was just, I mean, all about it. I use that when I have common ground with somebody like that, I'll use it to get their mind off things for a while. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they don't have to think, just sit there and dwell on, you know, cancer. You know, we can sit there and bullshit like two guys at a bar, just, you know, about deer stories and, and, uh, and hunting stories. So, yeah. So how old was he at this point when, uh, when you were first introduced to him? Um, he would have been in his late sixties, early seventies. Okay. Late sixties, early seventies. And then, <clears throat> so as you, it sounds to me like you guys came really, um, really good friends. Um, he kind of came back with the negative, you know, Hey, it's negative. Uh, you're, you got a clean yeah. bill of health come out. Uh, he follows up with his doctor and, uh, you get some news that, uh, obviously is not good. Yep. Yep. We, uh, so he ended up uh, being diagnosed, had uh, cancer in his brain and his spine. Um, and at that point, basically they told him that it was, you know, a terminal diagnosis that really wasn't much they could do. So I continued seeing him for a while, um, you know, a couple times a week. And then, uh, it came, it came time to where I had to have the conversation uh, with him and his family on end of life care. Um, you know, it's never, a, an easy, an easy conversation to have with people, but, you know, through the relationship that I had built with him over the previous, you know, few months, um, you know, on our, our common love for hunting and the outdoors and everything, um, it made it easier and, you know, I think he wasn't looking at me as just uh, another healthcare professional that was, you know, taking care of me. He looked at me as a, you know, valued friend. Yeah. Um, how fast? And did, so, how fast from the time he was re-diagnosed to the point where the doctor <clears throat> says, you know, this is now become terminal. Um. Let's see, that would have been towards the end of summer. It would have been. It would have been only probably a month or so. Oh, so it came back and it came back hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he probably had it while he had the other, um, and just didn't know about it. And yeah. it just finally started to manifest symptoms. And, um, was and there, when they was realized there any radiation what, involved, did they do chemo treatments and stuff like that? Yeah. He had done, he had done chemo and radiation and all that stuff and had, uh, actually shrunk the tumor down with radiation to have it removed. So, yeah. And then the one thing he was really worried about, he had a port in for his chemotherapy 
and it got infected while he was in the hospital. And so I had to do packing. They removed it and I had to do packing to that wound to get it healed. And he was concerned because that was his right shoulder. You know, that's, that's the gun that, or that's the shoulder that he, uh, you know, uses to shoulder his gun. So okay. that was when I made, made, made him a deal. I was like, you get, we get this healed up and you do good. You know, well, I'll have you out for a dove hunt. Gotcha. So, gotcha. All right. So he gets the bad news and, um, what happens next? So he gets the bad news and I, uh, like I said, continued, uh, seeing him for a while and it got to where, um, we needed to talk about end of life care. Um, right. so I actually ended up getting him, uh, enrolled in hospice care, which is an awesome program. Um, they, uh, I had to discharge him from my services though, uh, because my goal is to get people better and, you know, yeah. get them to progress. But, uh, so I got him discharged and enrolled into hospice care. Uh, but I still, every time I was through there, you know, I was stopping in and seeing him just visit and say, Hey, and keep him up to date on what was going on, you know, in, the, in, uh, you know, my, my deer hunting, uh, work and stuff that I was doing, yeah. but it started getting into, you know, the actual deer season, uh, bow season. And I kept, you know, coming by every time and I'd update him telling him, you know, what, what I'd seen and what I'd hunted over and just, you know, go over the whole story and my setups and, and what I was doing. And he just loved talking about that stuff. Yeah. So as a professional, you're supposed to maintain a professional, you know, approach to this, right? You got to try your hardest not to let emotions take over and stuff like that. How hard was it for you as not only a professional healthcare provider, but also now as a friend watching someone who started off as just another patient, you know, but you know, he becomes a, a friend now. How hard was it to see this deterioration? I guess you would say. It, it's really hard, man. Um, you know, it takes, it takes a, a special kind of person, I guess, to be, a a, uh, a healthcare worker because you can't go into it just looking at it. You know, this is just my job and this, sort of like, this is just what I do. And I clock out and clock in, you know, it's, you know, when I'm taking care of somebody, you know, I'm of course doing my professional duties, but I'm also looking to try and find a way to relate to them. Right. You know, you're coming into somebody's house when they're at an extremely vulnerable point in their life and you got to gain their trust, uh, build a relationship with them. That's going to make it easy for you to, you know, do your job and provide them the best care you can. Yeah. Um, and just build that, build that relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was tough. And, you know, I'm sure doing, doing what it is that you did, right. I mean, this wasn't your first rodeo, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure you had no. other scenarios that went down just like this guy went down, but but not, I guess, gain a friendship out of it. I, you know, before I did home care, I did eight and a half years of critical care. And, you know, not, not everybody makes it out of the hospital. And, you know, I'm multiple, multiple times had 
situations where I had to, you know, talk with families and give them bad news. And, you know, in some cases on patients that didn't have families, literally sit with somebody who was actively dying and hold their hand just so they wouldn't die alone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've done all that and, and, you know, you just, you go through it because you, you know, and I truly believe that, you know, what I was doing makes a difference and is truly helping that person. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that, um, let's see, God, I can't like three years now, I think it's been or two years or something like that. It just kind of, it's a blur since my stepmom passed away, she had, um, uh, cancer of her stomach and uh, ovaries oh, and all that stuff. And she had to go through the same kind of thing, right? The the hospice care. And yeah. I don't know if there's anything harder. You know, I'm a man here. You know, there's times where men try to act tough. But I don't know if there's anything harder for a, for a man, and I'm speaking for me, than not having control of a situation and watching something go down that you – that you don't want to happen, but you can't control it. No, it's, uh, I mean, that's the nature of the beast with healthcare. Yeah. I mean, in life in general, I mean, everybody's going to die. That's, yeah. that's a given. It's just, we have no control on when and the circumstances. And, um, that's why you just, I mean, you have to live every day. Like it's your last one. And, you know, you got people in your life, you make sure you tell them you love them and, because you never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. So did you notice this guy's demeanor change when you popped in to start talking about hunting? I mean, was, would he, would he um, light up? Would he pop up from his, like his slumber, uh, you know, this, this shroud of darkness that's kind of over top of these people who are dying. When you walk in the room, you're like, Hey man, what's up? How you doing? Did he kind of spark up a little bit? Oh Yeah definitely he would i mean he'd start smiling ear to ear and just i mean he'd kind of start moving around a little more in his in his recliner and and he got uh you could just kind of tell he was he was excited and kind of amped up to start talking about stuff so and his you know his wife and and some of his other family multiple times you know after i'd be taking care of him they'd walk me out and they would uh you know they'd let me know that that me being there and and getting his mind off that stuff for a while was just a, a huge huge help to him so that was that was really cool yeah so move forward with this so uh the postseason i uh, was going in illinois been been hunting and and just working and you know and doing my thing and uh i so i popped into his house one time he was uh he was on hospice so i was just seeing him on my own time and uh so i walk into his house and before i even get sat down he's like are you going bow hunting tonight i said i i doubt it I said i pretty busy today uh doubt it's all i'll get done early enough to get out in the woods he's like oh you no he's like you need to go he's like i woke up this morning and said first thing in my head was that i needed to talk to chad i need you to get him I need to tell him he need to go hunting today. And, uh, so I said, well, I was like, I, I really doubt I have time. So, you know, I usually like to get out in the woods about you know, two, two thirty. It was early, early October. I think that day was, it was October 13th. And, 
I mean, he started almost getting mad. He was, he was like, no, you, you, you need to go. And he, he like, wouldn't let it go. Almost like he I knew agreed. something that you didn't know. <clears throat> it, it was, it really was, but he wouldn't, I mean, he wouldn't let it go. So finally I was like, okay, all right, I'll go. You know, I'll, I'll, I don't know what time I'll get home, but, but I said, I'll go. And so I, I got my phone out and looked at the weather and, I said, well, I was like, if you're, if, if I'm going hunting, you're going to pick where I'm going. So I said, we got a South, I think it was like Southeast wind or something. And I said, my stand locations for Southeast wind. I only got a couple of them. I said, you know, I got one over some fresh cut corn and I got another one over standing beans. I said, so which one should I go to if you're, if, if you're picking? And he's like, oh man, he's like, I've always liked standing beans. So, uh, so I said, all right done deal I'll, I'll hunt standing beans tonight so i went ahead and worked the rest of my day and uh i got home something like 4 30 and hurried up and threw my clothes on and drove out to my hunting spot and got up uh got up in the stand at like five o'clock i mean it was it was late um and i'm sitting there just kind of got everything set up in the tree, got my bow hung up and was just kind of, kind of contemplating, you know, what, what, what our conversation was earlier that day and, um, had a twig snap behind me. Um, and where I was hunting was on a corner has been the South corner of a big, uh, big standing bean field. And it had a bottom, a little creek bottom that ran north and south. And then it had a, another finger, uh, small creek that led up to a pond that was probably 200 yards to the west of me. So I was kind of right in that triangle where that overflow from the pond comes down to that bottom and right on the corner of a bean field that kind of has a ridge that leads down into that little triangle where all that stuff meets together. And, uh, so I'm sitting there here, twig snap behind me, just kind of turn my head briefly and look. And there was the biggest deer that I had in bow range ever in my life no shit. at that point, standing right there. How far? Uh, at that time he was about 40 yards. Okay. 40 yards. And, uh, so I'm left-handed. The deer was on, he was kind of over my right shoulder. My bow is over my left. So I have to turn all the way around, get my bow, get stood up and get kind of turned around real, you know, everything real slow. And where the stand is, it's a pretty drastic change in elevation down to where this deer was. He was down in the bottom. And so by the time I get my bow and turn around, I, I can't see any deer, can't see the deer anymore. And so I'm sitting there and I didn't hear him run off. So I'm like, did I spook him? What's going on? You know, where is he at? And he gets to the, the, he must've got to the creek because I could see ripples in the water mm-hmm. start, start flowing out. And, uh, I'm like, all right, he's at, at this deadfall that, that goes over the creek, like he's, he goes under that. He's either going on a 40 yard trail 
on up to the north, or he's going to take this 20-yard 20 20-yard 20 path that kind of goes up the other side of this little uh, creek up into a small bean, bean field. So I sit there, wait, 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 and deer goes under the deadfall. I hear the water start uh, start uh, slushing around and see the ripples getting bigger and bigger, and here he comes out on the 20-yard trail. Holy shit. Heading, heading right up uh, right up into this other little, little bean field. All right, so hang on. He gets... Yeah. When this buck steps out, I mean, you're sitting, you're sitting in this tree, right? It's October 13th. It's generally not the best time to go, right? You, you probably wouldn't have gone hunting that day if it wasn't for him, right? No, I would not have. Now, when this buck steps out and you see him, what was the first thing that kind of popped into your mind? At that, I was, I mean, it was, it was like utter disbelief. I mean, it's, it's like 78 degrees, October 13th, you know, the quote unquote lull, you know, whatever that is. But so, and here's this just giant, I mean, huge deer. I mean, I, I, I was speechless, man. I mean, I just, I couldn't, it was like, I couldn't process what was going on almost. Did at that point were you like, oh my god, he is not going to believe this, you know? Because whether you shoot this deer or not, you had you already had an encounter with a, a, one of the biggest bucks that you've ever seen in your life, and now you already have a story to tell him. I at that time, I kind of went into like killer mode. Right, right, makes sense. Um. I wasn't thinking of anything else except, you know, huge deer. I got to get this shot off. Right. Now, now, how do I do it? Right. Okay. Um, because it, it, uh, it all happened. You know, I didn't have an opportunity to watch this deer, you know, walk in. You know, this all was just, this all just started with a twig snap right behind me. And, you know, here's this giant right there, just right. out of nowhere. Right. Just like he appeared like a ghost. Right. So... He's walking through the creek. He picks the twenty-yard trail and crosses the creek. Gets up on the other bank. Starts to get kind of up elevation, kind of parallel with me. I make a quick little, just little soft met. He stops. I had already come to full draw when he was crossing the creek. I make that little, little grunt. He stops. I just, I smoked him. Jesus. Let the arrow go. Just perfect, right behind the shoulder. He goes up, on up the ridge, and then comes back down, just kind of made a little loop up the ridge, and then come back down in that bottom. And there's an old woven wire fence down in that bottom. He ran head first right into that uh, woven wire fence and fell over right there. Holy cow. So from the time you saw him to the time you shot him, how, um, how much time had gone by? It felt like at that time like an hour but right. in all actuality it was probably a minute or two okay so it happened real fast it did happen really fast okay so when you let the arrow go and you hit him did did you know it was a good shot yeah okay it, it was i mean it was wide open perfectly broadside 
the grunt stopped him. He didn't spook and just, I mean, smoked him right, right behind the shoulder, uh, probably two inches behind the shoulder, maybe four inches, four to five inches, you know, below his, the bottom part of his body. So yeah, yeah that drilled heart him. shot. Yeah. So did you realize how big this deer was at the time that you shot him? No, I did not. Okay. I just, from, from when I first, first saw him, it was, I could just, it was just one of those, you know, giant, holy shit. I got to get, I got to get my bow. I got to get shot off this deer. And that was it. I didn't know what he was other than just big and tall. Yeah. Man, that is nuts. Okay. So at that moment right there, you, you drilled him. And then you watched him go down, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Then there's this moment that we all have, like, when, we, when we're able to shoot a deer and we watch it go down, we know it's a successful hunt. And then it's like we go from kill mode to a different type of mode. What happened as soon as you watched that deer go down? As soon as he went down, I... I... I was just sat there in, in, in disbelief for a second. I mean, I was seriously like almost tearing up. It was such a rush of emotion that it's just like, Oh, oh my God, this, you know, this, this actually happened. Yeah. And it happened. And, and I watched the deer go down. I mean, there's no question on a trail. And <clears throat> so <clears throat> I, I got my phone out. I sent, uh, sent a group text to actually my my dad and my cousin which after actually looking at it after uh after a little bit it made no sense at all i didn't hit <laughs> it was just gibberish not even autocorrect could help <laughs> it <laughs> no it was beyond beyond autocorrect repair um so i sent them that message and then i called uh called ed uh my patient or former patient uh my buddy, I called him up and I said, you know, Ed, you're not going to believe this. I said, I just smoked the biggest deer of my life. And he starts hooping and hollering. <laughs> and I mean, it, it was, it was unbelievable. He starts hooping and hollering and I knew it. Oh, by God, I knew, I just, I just knew it. And he's just going. And then, I mean, we're, we're, we're both hooping and hollering and, and, and back and forth and, and, uh, and then he just starts crying and, and he starts, he starts crying. And I, so, you know, I started crying and, and he's just, he's just, I mean, it was just an unbelievably powerful moment, you know, between two hunters. Um, it, it was just, I, I can't really find words to describe it. It was, it was just so powerful the uh you know the emotions that we both shared in that moment yeah um it was it was crazy man i mean i'm i'm tearing up right now just talking about it it was yeah. it was that you know, it's had that much of a lasting effect on me yeah i can believe it man now let me ask you this do you think the fact that this was such a i mean how first off describe this deer Describe this deer, how big it was, uh, maybe an estimate on age, whatever. So, um, 
like I said, when I shot him, I didn't really realize what it was. Um, I just saw big, tall tines right. and a huge deer. So I go recover it. Um, I actually waited for my dad to, to get there. He was bow hunting on a different farm. And uh, he came over and we went and recovered the deer. And I told him where it was and he headed down over the hill uh, before I actually got down there. And all I hear him say is, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So... So you get down there, and uh, it was a uh, eight pointer with uh, just hugely tall tines, yeah. um, and he had a seven inch—I don't know what you want to call it—of either a flyer or drop tine uh, that came off kind of the back of his where his G tube meets his meets the main beam. Yeah, he had a seven inch flare point that came off the back of his rack there, and then another. Uh, couple inch time that came out below one of his brow tines but uh he was he was an old old deer um you know i estimate he's probably a you know five and a half to six and a half year old deer yeah yeah and it says here 170 167 inch gross you know, basically eight pointer with some trash yep yeah wow now the reason i ask this is because do you feel that the size of this the size of the antlers of this buck made the moment more powerful? Nope. Nope. Didn't have anything to do with it. You know what? That is awesome to hear, man. Because I have a Good. feeling that if you would have shot a doe that night, it would have been the same the same type of moment. Oh, I would have made the same phone call. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered if it was a you know a button buck. I, I, if a deer would have come by that that evening, I would have shot it just for the reason that he, you know, he had a you know I guess you want to call it a premonition, yeah. you know, or wanted me to you know wanted me to go hunting. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of like he was living vicariously through me uh, to have that experience. Right. Right. So, like, I can't help but think in a moment like this, a guy starts to question different parts of his life, right? And I I really can't explain what I'm thinking right now except for there is some kind of natural force or higher power or whatever you believe that was at play that day that made a guy who is technically on his deathbed to basically get angry with you and force you to go hunting. And then this happens. He, I, I truly believe that, uh, you know, God was working in that situation. Yeah. Um, he was, he was, uh, working in Ed's life at that point, giving him, you know, one more rush, one more, you know, one more hunt, if you yeah. will, even if, it, even if it was just, you know, through me, um, giving him one more experience, you know, I mean, you know, that feeling that you get when you shoot, when you shoot a deer, yeah. I mean, it's, there's nothing like it in the world. Yeah. And I think he was giving that to him one more time before he would pass away. Yeah, man. So then when, uh, y- you get this deer loaded up. Were you able to drive over to his house and show him that night yet? I wasn't that night because it was so hot. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it was almost like 80 degrees. Yeah. So I, uh, I went and I got it hung in my cooler and, um, and then the next day, uh, after work, I went and, uh, skinned it out, got it skinned off the head, skull capped it and boiled the skull, uh, to get it cleaned up. And then like it was the next day I drove over, uh, that evening and took it in or, or that afternoon while I was working, I, uh, I stopped in and showed him the rack and, and let him hold it and told him, you know, the whole story in person. And, uh, he's just, you couldn't, somebody can't smile any bigger than what he was doing <laughs> at that point in time. I mean, he was just, he was on cloud nine. Yeah, man, that is absolutely crazy. What was the conversation like between you at that point? It was just, you know, reliving the moment, man. Yeah. We're just going through and he wanted, he wanted to know, you know, every detail of what happened and, you know, how, what I was thinking when I, you know, when I saw it and, you know, how I got my bow and how slow I had to move. And, you know, when I stopped him, did I whistle? Did I grunt? You know, what did I do? And, you know, when I shot him, he wanted to know, you know, exactly where he went up the ridge, down the ridge, you know, he wanted to know every detail of the story. And, uh, you know, I, shared it with him and then you know we just kind of just sit there and stare at that rack just kind of in awe and and we both just kind of reflected on on uh you know what had happened and i told him you know well i said thank you yeah. <laughs> for, <laughs> for uh you know for directing me uh to go hunting that that evening and picking where to go i said that that deer's all you man yeah. so what did what did yep. this uh, experience? Was there any takeaways from this experience? Was there any like like after something big happens in a person's life, they tend to sit and just reflect on it or think about it and just like play different scenarios in their head. What what ha- happened to your thought process or maybe you as a person because of this experience? I mean, it's. <sighs> it's one of those things that I I don't, we're not supposed to understand it. I don't think you're just supposed to have faith. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's been very few moments in my life that have had that kind of a lasting effect that, you know, there's definitely something out there. You know, if you're a religious person, which, which I am, I'm a Christian and I, you know, I believe in God. Um, but there's definitely something out there that plays a role. And at the right times, you know, you may not, you know, not all your prayers get answered, but at the right time, whenever, you know, God wants to let you know he's there, he will. Um, and I, I really believe that he was using me to to give ed that moment right man that is crazy powerful has has this changed you as a hunter in any way shape or form it makes me appreciate every single moment i can get out and hunt i mean it really does you you uh you just you don't know when it's going to be your last time to go yeah and to know you know, just taught from talking with Ed and, and, you know, sharing the stories with him. And you could just tell that he wanted to go 
so bad. He wanted to, he wanted to be able to get out there and he wanted to be able to do those things and experience the outdoors and just, just get outside. Didn't matter. Um, you know, if he would shoot anything, he he, he just wanted to be able to do it. And I mean, to see a guy who has that kind of love and passion for the outdoors, um, and know, and, you know, for him to know that he's not going to be able to do that anymore and to know that soon he's, he's going to be passing away. Yeah. Um, you know, sharing those moments with him and talking with him about those things, it just, it really made me appreciate being able to, to, to go out and then do what I do in the outdoors and to, you know, go hunting with my dad and just enjoy every single time that you do something like that. Absolutely. How much more time did you have with, uh, Ed before it was his time? Um, that was October 13th. I believe he ended up passing away in December. Yeah. So what was that like for you when you got the news? It was hard. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I get connected to, to every patient that I, that I take care of, but you know, there's every once in a while, there's one that's really special, um, that you really connect with. And, uh, I actually went <clears throat> when, uh, when his wife called me and, uh, and told me, uh, she wanted to make sure that I, uh, you know, attended his visitation and they, uh, they actually included me in the, the family, uh, part of their visitation. So I got to go and show up early, um, uh, and be with his entire family and actually share that story with them. And, um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was really hard. Yeah. I can believe it, man. Well, the good thing for you is, is that, you know, the sun is shining, so to speak, and you have plenty more hunting seasons ahead of you. And I know this is going to be something, you know, just from talking to you outside of this, you know, this podcast, you know, you you can take this, take away this story and, you know, I don't know, make the best of the rest of your life. And this is, this is an awesome story for everybody because I feel when you strip away all the bullshit that is out there in the hunting community, right? We got guys bitching about crossbows and you guys got guys bitching about high fence hunting and you got guys bitching about, you know, gun hunting versus bait and all this other stuff that doesn't matter one tiny bit at all in the grand scheme of things. Doesn't matter at all, man. It's, it's the fact that you're just able to be able to do it. Right. I mean, that that's what it boils down to. There's there's guys out there that I'm sure and or you know right now in the same situation Ed was that would give anything to be able to have one more experience, to have one more hunt. And uh, you know, in the big scheme of things, all this knickknack bullshit yep. uh, doesn't matter. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, very powerful story, Chad. I really appreciate you coming on again and sharing that with us. And, uh, man, let me be the first to say, well, 
first, let me say, you know, good luck this upcoming season. But I have a feeling that this story will probably get a lot of. I like to when I when I call when I sit in and have my tr- quote unquote tree stand time. You know, we do a lot of thinking. I have a feeling that this will be part of your um, part of your tree stand time thinking for many years to come. What uh, another thing to add to that is uh, a couple weeks after uh, Ed passed away, his wife called me and uh, she said, "Hey, if you could swing by the house, there's a couple of things Ed would have you to have." And, uh, so I went over, uh, after work and there was a two man deer stand that he had a, like behind his garage under a tarp and stuff. Um, and then a gun cabinet that he had built back in high school. Oh, wow. And she, uh, she said he, he wants you to have, he wanted you to have both of these things. Wow. So. I have the, the gun cabinet is in my basement full of guns. And every time I look at it, look at it, think of him. And then I took that stand and I got it put up in an unbelievable spot and wrote on it with a Sharpie, uh, the head stand. So, I mean, every time I'm in that, in that stand, I mean, it's, it's just kind of like, he's, he's right there. He's with me. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Well, man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing the story. So you're welcome, buddy. And there you have it, man. If that story doesn't tug at your heartstrings and make you realize what is important in life and at the same time how hunting uh, can be such a powerful thing and the outdoors can be such a powerful thing and the passion that a lot of us have for the outdoors, man, I don't know. I really enjoyed this story. Um, very emotional. It, you know, at the end of this podcast, you know, after I hung up the phone with uh, Chad, and I, I just kind of sit back, right, and you think about all the things that are really important at, in life. And let's all be honest, man. Big antlers are not are not that. Right? That's for me anyway. Big antlers. Yes, I love looking and hunting and trying to kill a deer with big giant antlers but but at the end of the day something like this it just is it's not worth it right so huge shout out to chad for taking time out of his day huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast hunter safety systems lone wolf ripcord wasp Ozonics Prime. I'm going to keep this short. Go spend some time with your family, right? Hopefully everybody had a great Father's Day. And if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Safety harness.